Hey, flush the toilet. Too busy to flush. Hey everyone, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for being here. This is Molly and I's uh, efforts at inviting you around to our digital table as we live life and work out our salvation in a world where people are weird and hard. We have, we've been married for 15 years. We've got four kids. Uh, I work from home and away. We homeschool. Molly also does some part-time work for a nonprofit. And so uh, we've got a couple acres and some chickens. So in a sense, we're kind of a typical American family. Um, we don't know where our conversation is going to go when we do these shows, which makes it kind of unique, I think. Um, so to uh, aid that, no idea what we're going to do. Um, if you look down in the show notes, you will see a time-stamped roadmap of everything that we'll, um, in the future, in the past, right now, talk about. You're listening. <laughs> yeah, you get it. Um, so I'll be recording as we as we talk. I record what we talk about and then um, make those show notes. So if you don't see anything, you know, you can browse through and listen to our show or not listen to. I hope you listen to our show because you enjoy spending some time with us as we drink our tea and sit here on a Wednesday afternoon at 2.20 to be precise. Well, 221, if I really want to be super precise. Super precise, but it doesn't really matter because nobody's going to be listening to this until tomorrow anyway, right? It, it, well, yeah, I might today. get it up. I'll get it up right away because... At the very earliest be, later today, but yeah, not at, at 221, yeah, not at Mountain Standard Time. We are not We are not live streaming this bad boy. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about. So we were just discussing um, on... We can start with this. We were just discussing... Um, off the air a little bit, um, the differences between righteousness and sanctification. And I'm, I hold pretty classically as Molly informed me to righteousness and sanctification. Righteousness is the point at which God declares us free of sin and our, our right not standing free of sin, in not, right standing, in right standing with God judicially, right in right standing with God. So, I mean, theoretically, I'm not going to do this because I would probably doubt my own salvation, um, I could go out and murder somebody, but the dot does not affect how God sees me. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> might say something about. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's what I was qualifying. State of your soul. I know that's what I was. Lord, that's what but... I was qualifying. But uh, you know, it would definitely raise some questions. So, and then sanctification, then being the progressive working out of what that looks like and growing in grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. So use the word progressive. Shaping, There's righteousness shaping... is considered definitive. And sanctification and progressive. Although, as I was telling JR to add more nuance to it, there is also a sense in which theologians will talk about our sanctification as being definitive. That is that, you know, this is why Paul can refer to the saints in Rome or the saints in Ephesus. They're obviously still sinners. The saints in Corinth, they're obviously still sinners, but God is considers them holy and set apart for his purposes, but they are growing in their, in the likeness of Christ, which classically we would consider sanctification. And we use those hard definitions partly because they're very helpful for mental clarity, but also because that sets us apart from the Roman Catholic church, which I believe would consider righteousness to be a progressive thing. Um, well, if you look my at Catholic theology is a little bit weak. And if you but. look at um, every other, frankly, every other religion or religious belief in the world and human existence, every aspect of salvation is a works-based aspect. Yes. You can't get there without doing something of yes. your own according. That's what sets Christianity completely apart. Yes. What else. is it that our friend who was a, used to be a missionary in Malaysia would ask Muslims when he was conversing with them. What do you do with your guilt? Yeah. So Muslims kind of like, I've not watched this, but there's a video going around of what's his, I think his name is Preston Perry. He's who's the rap, the female rap artist. Golly, my brain is like, <laughs> there's mush, a lot of I them. know. No, the one who wrote gay girl, good God. 
I have no idea. Oh, you you would know exactly who I'm talking no, about. I don't She's listen kinda, to mainstream rap. I listen to the mainstream, obscure underground Christian. stuff. It's oh, you would know exactly. Oh, who I'm talking uh, Jackie about. Hill Perry. Jackie Hill Perry. Yeah. So she's there's awesome. A, so there's a well. She's been a little bit race baity sometimes and a little bit squishy about uh, sometimes. Time. Generally yeah. speaking, she's pretty great. She actually recently. Oh, so this, you meant to say Jackie Hill Perry instead of Preston Perry? No, I did not because her husband is Preston. Oh, and that's okay. who. All right. Um. So, but Jackie Hill Perry. Recently came out. This might spark some fun discussion amongst the peoples, or it might not. Like it might completely blow past people. But I, I am. Uh, she she recently made some comments about the enneagram, where she was like, "Listen, y'all, I've been talking about the the enneagram positively for years, and I just did some studying, and I." I feel like I've led people astray. I think the Enneagram is evil. No. Yeah. This really? is a couple months ago. Oh, man. I'm, I, have, I mean, just the fact that she came out and like... She owned it. She 100% owned. owned. She said... We need more of that I've been life. public enough about this that I need to publicly tell people where I stand now. Oh, wow. And I do not think you should be going after the Enneagram anymore. I, I don't have as strong of feelings against the Enneagram as some of my friends do, but my basic posture is uh, knowing that it has roots in the occult. It's really hard to baptize something that started out with roots in the occult and use it for good without worrying about uh, those roots still being there in ways that I don't see. And I just don't have time to study all. I mean, there's so many different facets to it. I don't have the time or the energy to feel strongly about it uh, in either direction. But I have friends who feel strongly about it in both directions. So I'm not I'm not meaning to get into that. I'm not studied enough in it. If you want to study the Enneagram or you have strong feelings, feel free to jump on Telegram and let us know your feelings. I have like other comments related to everything you just said. I just but... think it's really fascinating that Jackie Hill Perry said that. And then the, the reason I saw it is because... There's a gal that I am, I would consider her an Instagram friend. I've met her in person once, but we exchange messages probably at least weekly on Instagram. She's local. Uh, and she shared this and was like, this has made me stop. And I'm I'm rethinking the Enneagram because of what Jackie Hill Perry just said. So anyway, Jackie Hill Perry's husband, Preston, has a very popular, because he's a spoken word artist and a rap artist in his own right and quite articulate, and he has a video going around where he invited some LDS, because Mormons don't like to be called Mormons anymore, they're LDS missionaries, into his home and somehow got permission from them to record the conversation. I have not watched it, but it keeps coming up as a suggested video for me because it's become extremely popular. And where I'm going with this is that our friend that we're referring to who used to be a missionary in a Muslim country in the in Southeast Asia, where it was illegal to evangelize the the nationality that was considered Muslim and by birth, but you could you could evangelize to foreigners, to people who were not of this nationality. And so he, but, but Muslims love to talk about their faith. They love to wax eloquent. They love to have these uh, academic debates. And so they would go to coffee shops with him and they would sit and they would visit a lot about all the things. And they would debate, was Jesus a prophet or the son of God? He was, was, you know, all the things that like, like an LDS missionary will be well equipped to debate with a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where Preston Hill Perry went with this, but where our friend would always go was the question, what do you do with your guilt? And they had zero good answers for it. And the kids and I have been discussing this a lot, actually. Well, not a lot. So this week we started reading a book. Oh, what's the book called? Tales from Persia, maybe. Uh, let me dig it up really quickly. It's by a man who went to Iran Tales of Persia, Missionary Stories from Islamic Iran. It's by William McKelvey Miller, and he is published by PNR Publishing. It came with our curriculum, and I'm trying to really emphasize reading aloud, so I'm doing three read-alouds right now with our kids on different topics and then making them write summaries 
very very Charlotte Mason do narration or write summaries of everything we read or write these days. Uh, I'm sticking strong until we build those writing muscles that have gotten really weak on my kids these days, which is, I own that. Um, So anyway, he, this guy, I don't know when the book was published. He went to Iran in 1919 as a missionary, and there were very few cars, very few of really um, anything modern when he went there, and obviously very few Christians. And he is a great book for kids because he starts by explaining the history of Islam. So chapter one was there's this guy named Muhammad and he, you know, lived in Mecca and the people in Mecca at that time were very big on idol worshiping. They were very corrupt. And he somehow came into contact with Jews and Christians, the other monotheistic religions and came back and then claimed to have this vision from an angel who gave him the next phase of monotheism. And, you know, he built up followers in Mecca, but they were being attacked and stuff. So they left, they became strong in Medina, and then they came back and attacked Mecca and took it over and have these pillars that people have to follow. And anyway, so the kids got a basic outline of Islam, which I know I've taught the kids about Islam before, but I know it's been at least a couple years. So particularly Elise and Faith, but also Lily and to some extent Titus really didn't know what we're talking about. So we look on a map, where's Mecca, where's Medina, where's Iran. And, um, and it's funny that we're so I mean, if you guys listening didn't know, I've spent a lot of time, as well as Molly, um, doing work in Muslim, uh, missions work in Muslim uh, majority countries. And it's so prevalent. We are insanely isolated here from the pervasiveness and the size of Islam everywhere else in the world. Even in Europe, it's huge. Africa, it's huge. United States does not have nearly that hugeness, but everywhere else, it's kind of like it's kind of like but, but, soccer, especially especially where we are in the United States. Yeah, you know, in we're in Montana. Billings, Montana. There's a I handful think I've seen of Muslims, three probably. people with uh, three women with head coverings. And maybe. interestingly enough, the women, the very few women that you'll see at Walmart or uh, walking down the street, uh, it's always an odd one walking down. Like we've got up uh, 48th Avenue, and it's it's like basically kind of, kind it's of a, a rural country highway. highway. Yeah. yeah, and. Well, but they're but they're very clearly African, like Central yes. African. They're not North African. They're not, uh, you know, here from Egypt. They're not Middle Eastern people who look Muslim here in Billings. It's by and large they look like they're immigrants from Africa. Um, yeah, so we we get very little exposure to that, and we need to work. I need to be better at exposing our kids to things that are true about the world outside of. Billings, yeah. Montana. But it, it is interesting because that the the way the man wrote this book, Tales of Persia, he he draws out a little bit, not a ton, but the the how do you get how do you get on Allah's good side? Well you do the things. You give money to the poor, you make the pilgrimages, you you know, the, you pray five times a day. Well, how do you know what direction you're praying? You're, you know, you're praying in that affects how well your prayers are received. You, it, but it's you do the things, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't know when you die if you're on Allah's good side or not, because there's no guarantee. And I, faith really loves the hymn "Blessed Assurance," and so I raised that that. The thing about Christianity that is distinct from all other religions is we have blessed assurance because Jesus is mine, that we are on God's good side. That's, you know, very, very low, (laughs) you know, language for saying that we have received Christ's imputed righteousness. God considers us. You know, like when we when we die, we know that we go to heaven and not to hell. 
not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And you can't spin it any other way without it becoming a workspace thing. Like some aspect of my salvation is dependent on me. At that point, I can screw it up and lose it. So there's no assurance there either, which I'm not going to leave anything in my hands. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. (laughs) I mean, but it's very, it's, it's harder with, um, you know, I went to college with a lot of really, really committed Catholics and I work at Canavox with a lot of really committed Catholics. And even though, you know, I made that comment earlier about, uh, the Reformation made this very clear distinction between definitive justification and progressive uh, sanctification, and Catholicism uses some of the same wording with somewhat different ideas. At least there's the possibility to believe in the imputed, you know, that Jesus died for my sins. Like, mm-hmm. I 100% believe that I will have Catholic coworkers and college friends in heaven because they believe that Jesus died for their sins and they're trusting in him to forgive their sins. Yeah. That makes, you know, so the, a hard time, a hard line person in the reformed faith would, would be like, no, 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 no. But that, that makes the Judeo Christian, not the Judeo, the Christian world that believes in Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, distinct from, Every other religion, as you said. And I just, you know, I bring that book up because it's, I'm interested to see where it goes. The author apparently has another book that is more popular that if I were to do a really quick search, I would probably be able to find. But uh, it was like 10 stories of Muslim converts or something. But this one is great because he has written it uh, for kids to understand Islam and what he, you know, uh, why Christian missionary, pioneering Christian missionaries were important there. And uh, it's, so, I mean, we're only on chapter three, so we're, we haven't made it oh, super, super far into it, but it has raised for some interesting discussion for us in that regard. Um, wow. So... So anyway, there we go. Uh, yeah, I've I've actually <laughs> First had fifteen minutes of the show. I've actually had so going off of the what kids, the discussions I've been having with kids about life in school recently. I have two other kind of anecdotes to to feed off of there. Um, one of them is that Lily for school the other day. Lily is eleven in sixth grade. So in her sixth grade English book, one of the, it, it like cycles through different things. We do picture studies, we do grammar, we do discussion about uh, readings that we do. And in this particular one, the reading was a series of Proverbs. And we were supposed to discuss what we thought the Proverbs meant. And it's funny how we take for granted what Proverbs mean. And then if you have to actually explain, like if you were to have to explain to someone a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. It's a little bit hard to just off the bat be like, well, that means, I mean, intuitively, you know what it means, but it's a little bit hard to just throw out there to an 11 year old. Well, this is what that proverb means. And here's a practical way of thinking about it. And she had a couple where I had to really stop and think. And one of the ones that she was one of the ones we had to discuss was no man is an island. <laughs> you know, Titus and Elise are in the room and they start cracking up about somebody floating and you can't like grow a palm tree on somebody <laughs> floating in the ocean. Like, like liter- a, literally okay. somebody That's floating funny. in the ocean. Somebody actually literally being an island. Is not an island. They're a different thing than an island when they're out in the ocean. <laughs> like a metaphor. That's and really I funny. It's like... I've literally, I never would have even crossed my mind that that would have been a meaning to think about with no man is an island. That's funny. And now I'm trying to remember why there was somewhere, something in our life that felt really relevant at the moment, but it's a very, uh, you know, that poem, you know, did you know that no man is an island comes from a poem? No, it's I'm going to Google it really quickly because it's it's actually part of a bigger poem that is um, 
is the whole thing really does actually. It's John Donne. So it's a very famous poem. And he says, No man is an island entire of itself. Each man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. So there's a very famous Ernest Hemingway book about war in Spain or Italy or somewhere. I went through a Mm -hmm. Hemingway phase in college and read it, and it was very depressing. But the point of it was, for whom the bell tolls, is that's the, the... unspoken answer to the question when you hear a funeral bell tolling in a town you are you are hurt you are grieved you should be grieved because every time somebody dies or somebody hurts um it affects you as a part of all of mankind and i think you know john don was a believer and you the same could 100% be said for the body of Christ, that if somebody in the body, you know, think we discussed the local church the other day in our life group at church. And, you know, if somebody in the church is, has a hidden sin and God is withholding his blessing from that person because of their failure to repent. Uh, We've also been discussing the Westminster Catechism with the kids about partaking in the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And, you know, how do you partake in an unworthy manner? Well, you bring you bring punishment upon yourself by partaking in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So for the kids, I was trying to say, trying to teach them, we have this very American, like, I want to do things by myself. I want to be strong. I want to be on my own. I want to be independent. I don't want to have to depend on anyone else. And... But even here I am, I'm going to refer to, here's my weekly Laura Ingalls Wilder reference. But, you know, the Wilders, they, we think of pioneer, uh, you know, Western, Wild West American pioneers as being these ruggedly individualist people. And they were in a lot of ways, but they depended on other people to help them bring their crops in when they needed, to help them put out fires when they needed it. They weren't completely, I mean, they were off the grid in the sense that the grid didn't exist yet, but they needed supplies coming from the more civilized East. They needed the sugar, they needed the tea, they needed the education. And in the long winter, when they got cut off, they they almost died. They had to depend on the town to literally keep them from starving. And they also had to, they suffered because they were cut off from, from the main, as John Dunn would say. And so I was telling a kid, you know, just trying to impress to the kids, you always need to be connected relationally to other people. God did not make you, I mean, God himself as the Trinity is eternally in relationship. He did not make you in terms of your physical needs or your spiritual needs to be an independent person. You know, I might have, now I'm trying to remember if I use this example, but so we had a friend over on Monday night and he, well, he wasn't a friend then. We'd never really met him before, but a mutual friend had said she felt like he was, uh, she knew that he was feeling pretty lonely and isolated because he hasn't been in Billings for long. He uh, came here for work and just hasn't made connections with many people. And, you know, our job is to, our job as members of the body of Christ is to look out for people who are feeling cut off, if you will, because they were not made to be islands. And we also suffer when somebody is suffering and we can do something good about it and we don't. I mean, that's James, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. It struck me um, going back to some of the time I spent overseas in these different communities. It so struck me how, how almost improperly individualistic we are. 
yes. in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know somebody referenced this on our Telegram group about um, being too individualistic in some ways. And I, I would agree that uh, in a lot of ways we are. We, we tend to value it above and beyond other things without... And that has an outpouring, kind of a, a manifestation, if you will, within the church body, within our, our neighborhoods, within our, like, our friend Pete. I'm always really, really... Uh, I'm always really impressed when I hear Pete talk sometimes, not all the time. Pete don't get a big head. <laughs> um, but he made a comment one time that he said, you know, if the end of the world happens, my first community is going to be like my neighbors around me. And as far as I know, they're a little like us. They don't have like, they don't get together for barbecues and dinners regularly with their neighbors. But And they you, don't share the val- values with their neighbors. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you have to, you end up having... You know, your, and I think this was brought up too, um, the communal, or sorry, the geographic. We had a, con- what were we having a conversation about church and oh, geography? Oh, we were talking about small groups. Small groups, which was really cool. They're, and it's something we don't experience, especially in America, because we have cars and we can drive everywhere and that's what we do. Um, You know, you're, you used to go to somewhere that was just locally close so you could get there. Back in the day, yeah. that was your community. So, I mean, yes, maybe, you know, you could say that was, well, that's the ideals. We should have that kind of community. Maybe, but that's not also the culture we live in now, you know? And so it's, it, to some extent, you can't go pursuing something that you just, you don't have. But, um, yeah, anyway, being overseas was, it just struck me how, how uh, the families are always together, these small communities together, like, Kids take care of their parents, parents take care of their kids, extended families, cousins, the whole thing. You know? mm-hmm. and it's like even immigrant families here and, in the States will I, live like three generations. Yeah, and in I, an I guess together. what I'm trying to say is that's the norm everywhere else in the world. Yeah. Except America. Which has both its maybe maybe a little bit Europe too, but uh, it has yeah, it's the Western uh Western individualistic culture versus the uh majority world honor shame more community based your identity comes from the community and i think that both have their benefits and their drawbacks yeah you know i mean you look at what it takes to convert to christianity out of islam in an honor shame where culture where your your community is your identity and you're literally losing everything to become a believer where here in the united states you know, uh, this is probably not so much true anymore because if you're part of an anti-Christian culture, you do lose most everything if you become a believer. But there's more of this, uh, my soul, my choice, if you will, sort of. <laughs> I love um, the cultural appropriation you did there. <laughs> uh, you know, my soul, uh, my choice. You know, at least historically in America, this idea that. You you get to choose where you go to church. You get to choose what your identity is, so to speak, which, you know, in, in a lot of ways is good because it there's at least I'll tell you about historically in America because America is such a mess right now. But, you know, this bootstrap idea, you work hard, you can actually change your your future, you know, and you can you hard work is in a lot of ways the key to you know, exiting poverty, where if you look at Hindu culture in India, what, if you're born into abject poverty, that is your, you were, you, you deserve that because of some previous life and it's just what you're in. And so there's no motivation to do anything else. And, um, so, so, I mean, there's pluses and minuses, but I think that we need to be very aware of the fact that in America, loneliness is one of the biggest problems that people have in America today. Like the statistics, I can't rattle them off off the top of my head, but the statistics about the number of people who say that they have two or more close friends or somebody that they could call if they needed help or the people, number of people who say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how often or how strongly do you feel lonely? Uh, it, it's, it's this is a couple called, of years ago that you read that report. It, but it's, a, it's, it's it. deepened. Yeah. The number of millennials and whatever the generation of Gen Z people who feel lonely, even though they have this vibrant, and I use that with scare quotes, online presence, and 
thousands of Facebook friends or whatever the kids are, Snapchat, whatever connections, you know, whatever it is, they have zero actual relationships and they feel deeply lonely and deeply lost. And so, you know, this individualistic culture has turned very toxic in America and the mental health as well as the physical health ramifications are really big. And our kids don't necessarily need to be given all of that when we're having a discussion of a simple proverb that's an excerpt from a lovely <laughs> poem from Oh, well, that's right. We started this British whole thing poet. out by two examples of having conversations with kids. Yeah. But, um, but I, you know, as, as an adult, it's helpful to go there in thinking through what it means to think no man is an island. I need other people and other people made me need me. And, you know, going back to our Kelly Capic discussion, this is a feature, not a bug. It's actually a positive built-in part of being made in the image of God, that you need other people and that other people need you. You are dependent. You're a dependent creature. You're dependent on God and you're dependent on other people. And you were designed for a relationship. And so your soul is going to shrivel, as C.S. Lewis says, if you decide you don't need people they lock your heart in a box and it shrivels and dies. Your soul needs other people and your soul needs to be needed by other people. At this point, I'll take an opportunity to plug a brand new line of clothing we have at the Too Busy to Flush store called Faithfully Finite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, JR, just for me, made a t-shirt that has kind of some rainbows. Actually, you know what it reminds me of, the design you chose? It looks a little bit like the Pink Floyd prism. Oh, me. that's cool. Yeah, the two lines. And the my... phrase faithfully finite was my summary of of our whole self-care discussion from the fall. We recognize that we're finite and we try to live in a manner that's faithful to the Lord and that acknowledges the finitude of our bodies and our minds in in this fallen world, but we were created in a finite way and that's good. I yes, and I make all the designs. I'm not a graphic designer. I slap together various things I can find. I know how to manipulate some things in, um, I use Affinity. I do not use Adobe because I wanted to get off of the subscription train. So I use Affinity Designer and I love the program, but I just, I don't do it enough to really to spend time to figure out how each Molly wanted these kind of seventies or sixties looking sort of rounded bubble letters. And I could do bubble letters, but trying to make them round just took a long time for me to figure out. And I gave up and went with this route instead. So there you go, guys. Anyway, yeah. So there's that. Um, the other, the other conversation that I had with a kid that has kind of stayed with me for a couple days now is at bedtime the other day, Faith started asking me about the end of the world. <laughs> I don't know. She's five, you guys. I have no idea what prompted it, but just as we're getting ready to pray, as we do as a family every evening, she says, will the world ever end? And I said, as a matter of fact, yes. And Why do you think I buy all that no. flower, Faith? <laughs> Dad buys all those bullets and we're buying all that gold. No. <laughs> um, well, yeah. And so I, I was... I. I did not think to say, what on earth made you ask this question? But she kept, and I said, well, yeah, the world, God says that the world will actually end someday, but it, it's, it, he will recreate it. And, uh, and she just kept asking questions, what happened to the people? Will the people die when the world ends? Yeah, some will. So, so I ended up, she kept asking the questions. And so I was like, look, we, we need to pull out your Jesus storybook Bible. And let's, let's kind of review the first couple of chapters up to the flood. And this is a time when God made more or less made the world end. And that is the paradigm uh, for, or the archetype in a sense for the second end of the world. And then she was like, we've never read this book together. And I was like, I'm a failure as a mom. It's very hard to keep track and to do the preschool Bible education thing while you're also trying to do middle school Bible education thing. And we have never read a, a Bible to her. She does not know the whole story of the Bible, which I'm like, oh boy, Titus probably had the Jesus storybook Bible read to him if 
15 times. Yeah, we haven't done anything with faith. So anyway, she gets she, she gets catechized. She can tell you what a sacrament is, <laughs> but she can't tell you really the story of Noah. So we, she now, she really wants to do this. So she has the Bible, the Joy to Jesus Storybook Bible, not the Bible, on her nightstand. And I've told myself, if she want, we will read a story a day mm. and we're just going to get through this. Even if it's 9.15 and I want her to have been in bed an hour ago, I will spend five minutes reading this so we can actually be committed and get You're it done You're such for. a great mom. No, I'm recognizing all of these gaps and failures and just trying to plug leaks in the boat at this point. Uh, but so, so we very quickly talking about the end of the world, we reviewed God made the world good. People sinned, brought sadness and tears and sin into the world. And it got worse and worse and worse. And Sally Lloyd-Jones doesn't use this in her paraphrase, but the actual Bible says that every inclination of man hearts, man's hearts was always evil, only evil all the time, is the beginning of the Noah story, which I think is just a striking phrase when you think about our current culture and how depraved and evil it seems like things are these days. Every time mm-hmm. you turn around, you're like, hey, somebody sent me today... Um, that a preview for that one that you sent me on Instagram the other day, that Amazon Prime video. Oh, I just thought the whole story was just super weird. It's it's weird, but it's it's actually, it starts off and you're like, this is weird. And then all of a sudden it gets really evil. Where I think it's called the Hasbin Hotel or something. H-A-Z-V-I-N. Um, yeah, you know, we have a... Um, I have a note from... I actually sent it to Brian... And my friend Brian, who I was in stuff for a long time, he uh, does a lot of cultural commentary. He's a cultural commentary theologian. Um, anyway, Brian, Brian said uh, Brian was kind of funny, and I agree. I just thought it was kind of weird. Um, he goes, "That's weird stuff for sure," but it looks like a it was an independent effort Amazon bought. They didn't commission this thing, and B it's rated eighteen plus as an adult comedy and not being pitched to kids. Um, but it's and it bothers me when folks say that um uh not the bee leave out details to fit the vibe they're trying to curate it's advantageous to the ministry but God clicks more rouse people and well anyway he said but the show looks a lot more like Archer and she's talking about being counterculture rather than subculture but that's a whole nother discussion we don't need to get into right now. Um, well, somebody else sent it me today because they're He's like, How about Christians start making great stuff that makes money that Amazon wants to buy? I agree with maybe, that one. Maybe, maybe. Good luck. Um, no, I mean, there's there's also great alternatives besides Amazon, but it's but no, no. Of. My point is that the way they present the story in the preview. So this is not. Oh, this yeah. is not somebody <clears throat> like making them look bad. The way they present the story in the preview, and somebody else sent it to me where a friend was watching it with a teenage is actually a foster daughter. And they were watching it with a younger kid in the background. And she was like, this is like, there's a lot of really unhealthy sexual themes in the story. Too. Right. But if it's rated 18 plus, I why know, are they making those decisions? I, I understand that. Right. So, Just but saying, it's, there's, it's, but there's no limit to who can access it. Our kids could you take. You can say that about anything on Amazon. Though. All I'm saying. Yeah. Amazon's going to label it 18 plus, but it looks like something cartoonish that a kid's going to be attracted to. That's not the point that I'm getting to. The point that I'm getting to is they basically make it seem like Satan's misunderstood and Eve is his second wife because his is Adam's second wife because his first wife uh, was named Lilith and Lilith and Satan had this dream to make the world beautiful and artistic and God didn't like how they were going to yeah it's super weird be artistic and creative and make beauty in I just don't understand world. how that's even like even as a comedy, that's not even that funny. Yeah. It, well, I Archer think though. Archer was funny. I think, I don't know what Archer is. It was inappropriate, but it was funny. I think what makes it attractive to people is they, I mean, I'll just outright say this. What makes it attractive to people is they hate God. Oh, And totally. they will delight totally. in seeing anything that perverts and subverts the truth of the Bible story. And so this mm-hmm. will 
gain traction with people, first of all, because they see Christians disliking it. And second of all, because just like that artist who years ago made money with the piss Christ, you know, where he peed on like a crucifix or something like there's there's nothing of of positive value here. You're you're gaining traction purely from hate of something else. I don't actually I would probably also like I appreciate what Brian was saying. But I would also probably argue that they won't buy it because this is the stuff they know will sell. So this is the stuff they'll buy. Exactly. Amazon's in it to make money. They're not out there to make, well. Good content. I was going to say they're not out there to kind of promote a moral agenda, but most corporations have been doing the moral agenda with Black Lives Matter and gay rights and all the things forever now. So I guess I can't really use that phrase. Amazon would, Amazon. Point is, they've got a bottom line. They've got shareholders. They've got a. They've got money. They, I mean, yes about. and no. Corporations are pursuing woke agenda to their own detriment financially right now. But that, but okay. So that's not where I'm trying to go with this. I'm trying to go to the play. So, so I'm teaching faith from using the Jesus Storybook Bible. That which I'm sure people out there will take issue with because it has pictures of Jesus in it and violates the second commandment and oh all the things. Oh my gosh. That but is an obscure sect of Christianity. It's, it's not actually that obscure. It's obscure. But the the point is, you know, God created the world good and then sin grew and grew and grew, only evil all the time. So God says, I'm going to wipe it all out uh, and start over with this one, cov- you know, with this one family that I have a relationship with and that i like God refers to Noah as righteous, <laughs> which, you know, we know he wasn't, uh, he was not fully sanctified, but God refers to him as righteous. And so what the reason that when I was talking about the end of the world with faith is I wanted a visual image for her of the ark of Noah's ark and Noah's ark is not just a cute, uh, cute picture full of cute animals. Noah's it's always depicted. Noah's Ark, what I wanted her to take from it is, as the world is being destroyed, those who are God's people have a place of safety, have a place to be covered and protected from the destruction that he's pouring out on the world. And then those people who are his own, that he is protecting, will get to populate a recreated heaven and earth. And only the difference is those people were for, who, who left the ark still had sin in their hearts because the flood wiped away all of the evil outside of the ark, but it didn't wipe away the evil that resided in the human hearts inside of the ark. Next go around. First of all, the world will not be destroyed by a flood. That is what God promised through the rainbow. Not that he would never again destroy the world, that he would never again destroy the world by a flood. Uh, pretty sure next time it's going to be fire. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's going to suck. Well, but, and, here, and as hurt. I told Faith, you know, what, because I really wanted, I wanted to be honest with her, but I also wanted her to not have fear, which is, so you are in the ark with Noah. And God is going, yes, the world will end, but it will not be the end because God is going to recreate heaven and earth in a more perfect way, if that's possible. And we then, without sin in our hearts, get to live forever with God. And the people who are outside of the ark, yes, they will perish because she wanted to like, what happens to people at the end of the world? Well, it depends on if you're in the ark with God or if you're not. Uh, and that makes all the difference in the world and how you approach the end of the world. If you're in the ark, you're safe with God. If you are out of the ark, you will perish as the world is destroyed. But we don't have to live in fear no matter what the end of the world ends up looking like, whether we're still alive when the end of the world comes or whether we're not. And what we get to look forward to is being safe in the ark because we are God's people. The title of this episode is going to be how to explain the end of the world to your five-year-old. And we're going to get millions of hits because nobody knows how to do this. 
There you go, guys. Molly's going to write a little book, booklet. She self-published booklets on Amazon. Um, How did, it's all a joke, you guys. How did Faith respond? She wanted me to keep reading the Jesus Story Bible to her. And I told her, that's enough for tonight. I have three more kids to tuck in. And um, and I'll read more to you tomorrow. Uh, the funny thing about five-year-olds and questions like that is you have to take them seriously. And you have to give them honest and understandable answers and she what what i appreciated about her response is she wanted more information and she wanted to keep reading about the story as as sally Lloyd jones calls it the story of god's love for us she did not turn around and say you know were there unicorns on the ark like she didn't do like a funny random total segue you mean like our other daughter yeah, our other kids are, you know, I mean, it's it's a classic thing to have a what you think is just knocking it out of the park theological discussion with a little yeah. kid and them to be like, could I have cheese and peanut butter for lunch, please? You know, you know, could I eat peanut butter on my jerky stick, please? They at least she didn't do that. But she has not asked any more about the end of the world. So I think that it was either out of sight, out of mind and. It just satisfied her curiosity, and she's moved on with her life. She did ask me in church on Sunday, and I did not answer her this thoroughly because we were in the middle of church. She asked why we had to dress up for church. And I was like, that's actually a really great question. Um, You don't technically have to, but... Well, I mean, I I know I've had this discussion with the the older kids before because uh, I, again, this is... I feel like the theme of Too Busy to Flesh this month is you do you before the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I am not your conscience. I have strong opinions. I have strong opinions about a lot of things, and I think a lot of them are backed up by scripture or by data. But I am not going to I'm not going to bind your conscience before the Lord. You are accountable to the Lord for what you do with your family and your life and the information that you have and his call on your life. And if you're not reading the Bible well enough or you misunderstand what his call is or you make selfish choices, that is not on me. That is on you. And I will love you and I will encourage you with the information that I have and the grace that I have. And I can have very strong black and white opinions for myself and my family. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to bind other people to them, and I'm also not going to change how I live my life according to your opinions. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny because that's exactly like how this whole conversation on Telegram went down and how – like what prompted the conversation on – Righteousness. You know, and, righteousness and sanctification. But I mean it's so – and I, I think that it's really important to have those conversations, and I think it's really important to form your opinions And like, I know women who have started wearing head coverings to church because they think that scripture, they've been convinced by the witness of other people that scripture teaches that. Uh, I think the self-care conversation is the same. Like what, you know, maybe for you, self-care actually does look like owning a pink Stanley mug and a Carhartt hat and drinking pumpkin spice lattes once a day. You know, you do you before the Lord. If, I mean, if you're being financially, I was actually laughing about that conversation and some of the, because where you are in life very much determines how, what being financially responsible to the Lord before the Lord looks like, because before we were married, I had two dogs And the smaller of the two dogs had probably half a dozen Halloween costumes. And the bigger of the two dogs, who was a hundred pound black lab, who had very droopy eyes, people actually thought that he was part Great Dane because of how tall he was and he had these very droopy eyes. He hated sticking his head out the window of cars, which is a very not dog-like thing to do, right? But I discovered his eyes caught so much wind (laughs) Because they were so droopy, he would get stuff in him, and he just hated getting his eyes blown out. And so I bought him a pair of doggles, which this is like 2008, maybe before that even. It was before we were married, so it was before 2008. And I think I had to order them from a catalog. I spent 30 to $50 on them. 
Molly of today would never spend that kind of money on something somewhat frivolous for a pet. I will say, <laughs> he did wear them. He All would. The time. He, yeah. he he. If you were, had him, if you just tried to stick him in him, like out in the yard, he wouldn't wear him. But if you were in the car and you put those doggles on him, he would stick his head out the window and his ears would be flapping in the wind. They benefited him. But Molly of today would go. Do not dare. Don't you dare spend that kind of money on something that frivolous. It was not a sinful decision then. I was well within my means. I had the freedom before the Lord to make a decision to spend a decent chunk of change, a Stanley-sized chunk of change, if you will, on something that brought me joy. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing right. wrong with but, that. But anyway, so all I'm saying is, you know, you, you do you before the Lord is, I like it. is what I'm saying there. Um, I had a funny segue there and I can't remember what it is, but I think I want to follow up on our meat stick conversation before we end. Oh, that's right. We mentioned that yesterday. I mentioned that yesterday saying this last week. Yeah. Yeah. So last week, you guys. No, it was yesterday when I ate them. Yes. Last week, we hit right when we came down to record, I had used a frosting bag and tip to mix up some elk with some seasonings and squeeze it onto a dry a metal dry like cooling rack for cookies and bread and mm-hmm. stuff and it smoked it and it just pulled it off the smoker and the kids we went upstairs you guys and while we were down here recording and dinner was in the oven the kids ate half a pound okay, now, worth of that meat let's pause for a second and I want to draw, I forget what they call a look back in comedy where you look back at, you reference something you've already just talked about in your joke. But the reason we were, you might be asking why in the world are you pushing meat out of a bakery frosting tip thing? <laughs> this has everything to do with trying to be financially responsible and, um, or just, you know, trying not to spend needlessly spend money when we don't trying to to keep our family fueled in a healthy and nutrient dense way but the point is molly was talking about these jerky guns and we didn't want to spend the money on a jerky gun yet we did talk about this last week and i told you if it comes out well if we like it i want to buy one of these jerky cans people may not have listened to last week's show that's true why they should have i know they should have you know people people are weird and hard uh, and they have better things to do than mm-hmm. listen to us for an hour a week. So anyway, um, so anyway, I went out, I think we recorded and released that on Friday and I went to Shields, which is our local kind of like Bass Pro if you don't live in this region and it's locally owned. And if you ever have a chance to go to a Shields, they have like talking statues of Thomas Jefferson rec- reciting the Declaration of Independence scattered things like that scattered abraham lincoln giving the gettysburg address it's a little bit creepy but also great educational and they're very patriotic and all the things anyway so i went down the street to shields and i picked up a jerky cannon and i picked up some collagen casings because after doing these trial ones where i was just squeezing the meat without a casing i decided i really needed the casings so how many days? A couple days later, uh, I did. I decided to try pepperoni sticks. Looked up a couple of recipes online and found one that I could modify a little bit and did a half elk, half pork meat mixture. And it was Monday morning. Monday morning, Sunday night, I thought everything out. Monday morning, before school started, I was like, listen, kids, your dad and I have to get these meat sticks going. This is a priority for us. So JR helped me figure out the jerky cannon and putting the casings on the little tube, which was a little bit tricky to figure out at first. But we made four pounds of, well, before it was cooked, which took a little bit of the weight out of it, but four pounds of pepperoni sticks smoked them on our smoker for i don't know a couple hours yeah it was a little long if i could pull them off a little well not too much earlier because i had the thermometer in them you want to get them to an internal temperature of about 160 you need to be fully cooked yeah so uh the way that i seem to see people doing it online is they start off really low 
And then about every, after the first hour, about every half hour after that, they increase the temperature. Um, you want it to cook slowly. The fatter the meat stick, the more slowly it has to cook. Because well, you want it you to get, cook want, evenly. And you want the smoke to permeate yeah. that nice. So anyway, the, the casings were a little bit tough when we pulled them off. The flavor was fine. Uh, but after... Casings were a little chewy. Yeah, it was a little weird. It was like, I can ta- I can feel the casing. Yeah. Uh, but after they were bagged up and sat in the fridge for a day, it's like the texture of any meat, meat stick that you would yeah, buy in a they store. Were great. Yeah. So anyway, um, so there's your update, you guys. We bought the jerky cannon. We Molly did the math on the jerky cannon. So with that one batch we made, we we bought as much as we. Uh, it's about at Costco. They have these grass fed meat sticks with ingredients that i like that i approve of and it's last time i bought them i think it was 16 dollars for a pound of them so it's 16 dollars mm. a pound for grass-fed beef sticks and with the four pounds that we made that would have been 64 pounds worth of meat sticks 64 dollars worth of meat sticks and the jerky cannon was 50 and the casings were 12. So you're looking at a really, even if you buy, even if you make these out of store-bought beef, you're looking at a really fast payout. Yes. Yeah. Real fast turnaround. Yeah. Because even cool. grass-fed ground <clears throat> beef would be about half the price of right. the sticks. So anyway, uh, if you're interested in learning more about that process, shoot us a message and we can tell you a little bit more about what we did. Yep. And I'll include um, I'll include the links for these things in the show notes. So we'll have a I'll put up an Amazon link so you guys can go buy the the jerky cannon and we'll get a little kickback, which is nice. There you go. One more recipe I want to show, throw out there before we Delicious. wrap up. I discovered a granola bar recipe the other day that is crazy easy to make and reminds me of now I can't remember the brand. Sun something? Sun? Sun Earth Earth. Sun Belt? Sun Belt. That's what it is. Sun Belt granola bars. There's a honey oat one. Sun Belt Bakery. And I remember that I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. I remember them being in yellow packaging, but now it's green and red because apparently that feels more earthy and natural. Uh, or Christmassy. Yeah. It's festive. So so they're they're just kind of buttery and sweet and melt in your mouth. Uh unlike the Nature Valley ones that make an ab you know, there are memes about how messy and hard they are to eat, you know, the super crunchy oat ones. So I made a batch of them last Tuesday. Was it Tuesday or Thursday? When I it was Tuesday. I made a batch of these granola bars and it's literally I probably remember the recipe off the top of my head four and a half cups of oats and it calls for quick oats so I ground them in my blender for a little bit just chopped up the whole oats a bit a stick of butter melted about half a cup of honey melted and before the recipe called for salt but I used salted butter and she called for coconut oil so I omitted the salt and I had some molasses because molasses is a great source of minerals and just a little drizzle and uh sugar and she her recipe is a cup of sugar and i the first time i used the full cup and i felt like i could cut back on it a little bit so i used about three quarters of a cup of sugar and you just mix everything together smash it into a pan in a i don't know this is less less than half an inch maybe half a centimeter thick no way thicker than half a centimeter centimeter is not that thick uh You're, you're about a quarter of an inch thick okay about a quarter of an inch thick smash it into a pan, bake it for like 10 minutes at 400 and the it kind of caramelizes just a little bit and sets up and it tastes just like those granola bars. And here's the best part, you guys. If you go, yeah, if you want to cook them longer, you can, if you really love the crispy ones, the Sun Valley ones. The whatever, Nature Valley. Nature Valley. You can get those too because Molly went a little bit long on these. So the one, so the, so the, the pieces be, the on the edge. The second batch I made last night. Yeah. This, the, the ones around the edge were very Nature Valley. And then as you move towards the middle, it's kind of right the in, buttery, but, soft. But kind of right in between, belt. but not quite as 
awesome as they were the first time around. So you can go both ways with it. It's a totally flexible yeah. I was recipe. I was trying to get a little bit more of like the caramely flavor mm-hmm. that you get when you cook butter and sugar together. Which I don't is think why you I left needed them in for any longer. of that. They were pristine the first, the first time, time around. Okay, so... and then at the same time, you guys, she made another another granola bar recipe, which is. It, it almost tasted like an old school cliff bar. It was mind blowingly good in terms of homemade anything coming out of anything. And there were chocolate chips and peanut butter or something. Yeah, it was it was but a pretty basic recipe. You need to too. make those again too. Those were I don't crazy even remember. Good. I'm sure I saved the recipe on my Pinterest. Those were crazy good. The kids the kids liked those better. Actually. Did they? They did. Because I yeah. thought after I made I made those first and then I made the Sunbelt ones. And I felt sure that they weren't going to eat the ones other than the fact no, that they on the had way home, they all kind of fought over the last chocolate peanut butter uh, one. So, okay. and I went back and forth cause they're both very different. You can't compare them yeah. um, as like, I'll have one over the other. I want both all the time. Okay. Well, there we go. I did save. So I will, I have both recipes on my Pinterest. I'll give JR both recipes. So good. Anyway, yes. so we, so good. you guys. Keeping four busy kids fed is no joke. It is so much. For example, I made bread today. Uh, I made a loaf to give to one of my parents' neighbors, and then I made a loaf for us using this new experimental silicone kind of boat that you shape it in. I do the Dutch oven baking method, but one of my Dutch ovens is chipping on the inside and just seems not healthy to have all of this enamel coming off while I bake with it. And I can also only bake three loaves at a time. And if you guys didn't know, Elizabeth, our 11 year old sells bread at judo on Thursday nights. And so we're just limited in how much we can make. So I bought a silicone kind of boat bread baking thing. I'll send JR the link from what I got off of Amazon too. And, um, so I cut open the experimental loaf of bread for our lunch And we ate tuna salad and veggies and fruit and almost an entire loaf of bread. We have three slices left of a freshly baked loaf of bread that I made for lunch. Now that said, I'm also home, so I'll I'll eat eat all of this bread too when it comes out. Yes. If I was gone for work, for instance, you would cut down on a couple slices. Just a couple though. I mean, functionally, we went through a whole loaf of bread at lunch with in feeding our family so all i'm saying is it's no joke keeping a family of six fed no joke so anyway um i don't really have anything else do we need to fill time with more kid questions no we're way over okay we'll be we'll be right around an hour again so that's perfect yeah no you did great good job thank you good job yeah uh check check is in the mail yeah right um (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm going to turn around and do this right away. And then I got to dive into a, a bin. Um, you guys don't want to be bored with my work. No, but. they don't. So, <laughs> uh, we had some links as Molly mentioned, we'll be putting those in the show notes. So you can just click through and click on those. And then if you'll also notice in the, in the, uh, footer, which is also part of the show notes. I don't know if there's a distinction on, I haven't looked it up since they changed this, but we have some other links in there. Some of Molly's most epic favorite items, like her milk frother, uh, that we actually travel with, uh, are in there. And as well as, um, I've been drinking my peak tea. Um, so far Molly doesn't really like any of the flavors. And then... no, I like the straight, the green, I like oh. the green, but JR bought me yeah. a variety sample. Variety pack. pack. Well, it came with it. So I thought, well, I just might as well try it. And I, didn't yeah. love i like the black the plain black oh, that you so yeah. you've been buying too but the there's a lot of health influencers that i follow that drink their ones that are supposed to have ingredients that help beautify your skin and you know, pr- help your body produce collagen oh. and you know clear skin per- i don't i don't like any of the flavors that being i drink the fermented puer green tea and i love it there's a link for that um we just get like 10 bucks off when you order through our referral code so that's really awesome. I have a subscription now because I just I got tired of running out. Um, and let's see if you want to get on the crypto train again. I've got some links down there for Ledger, another referral code where you just get like 10, B, 10 Bitcoin, something like that. 
Um, so anyway, we got a few links like that. If you want to send us a message, you've heard us talk about Telegram quite a bit. We have a private Telegram chat group, and the link is also in the show notes. If you don't want to do that, but you still want to interact with us or give us your thoughts or tell us how how horribly uh, heretical we are or something, please feel free to do so on our website, www.toobusytoflush, all grammatically correct, or tb, the number 2f, tb2f.com. Scroll all the way down. There's a send us a postcard option. Hit that up. Say hi. Um, you can send me a text if you really want to as well, 406-318-7136. And um, we'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear um, what's going on in your life, everything else. We enjoy doing the show. We enjoy um, participating in the community. It's what really makes it uh, makes it worthwhile and fun. So um, with that said, we are a weekly podcast. We, we're, we do put out a podcast every week. Unless um, something horrible has come up or, I don't know, not really horrible, um, you know, vacation or something like that. But we try to put out a podcast every week and um, we'll, we should be here. Lord willing, next week. Mm-hmm. Lord willing. Mm-hmm.